Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bulldog fans everywhere. Uh, we are thrilled to be back on another rendition of the Maroon Mike. I'm your co-host, Colton Watson. And I'm Andrew Miller. Programming note. Um, so today we'll talk about, you know, men's and women's hoops. We'll talk about a little bit about baseball. Starting next week, you know, I know everybody knows it's opening uh, weekend for baseball season. Going to have a full preview, just our Long Beach State preview, kind of a season preview a little bit. I know we already previewed the season, but uh, I don't know how much of the episode we'll fill up talking about Long Beach State, who has not played a game this year, neither have we. So it's not like I can just go back and say, well, this guy did this, you know, throughout the whole non-conference uh, part portion of our season, you're going to have to bear with me, you know, as the numbers start to get laid out. Uh, so as soon as we get into conference play, it'll be a little bit more robust from from a opponent breakdown, opponent preview. But that'll, that'll be next Thursday. Uh, we'll have basketball talk and baseball talk, and then we'll have pretty regular shows. It'll be Thursday evening, Monday evening, should be. Uh, baseball and ba and basketball every single day until shoot. When's the SEC tournament? Second weekend in March, something like that. I don't anticipate. I, I'm I'm going to tell you. For, uh, spoiler alert for the rest of the show. I don't expect the men to be playing past the SEC tournament right now. I'm am optimistic that the women will be playing past the SEC tournament. Uh, and part of that's because I think the women will take an NIT bid, and I'm not sure the men will. But let's uh let's let's go ahead and just say for men's basketball programming the rest of the way. Look, we're as long as they're in the conversation, we'll discuss it, and I will be on to discuss it. But as soon as they're out of the conversation, we're mostly just – like the shift is going to be full-on like coaching candidates. We will be talking like, about coaching candidates because we um, are of the persuasion that this has been Howland's last year. I'm of the persuasion that short of a Elite Eight Final Four run, Ben Howland needs to go. Either that, maybe if he wins the SEC tournament and wins one game in the tournament, the big tournament, maybe. Uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm completely done. We'll talk about that later. But long story short, yeah. basketball today, basketball and baseball next week on Thursday. We'll have one episode before then. Basketball uh, on Thursday starting next week and then baseball as well. And then that will kind of be the pattern for the next few weeks until basketball's through. And you know, softball's right. playing as we record. And I was about to say, uh, we'll also have a little bit of softball discussion um, next week. Something I was about to say is, I, if you, if you, those of you that were listening last year, back when Gavin was here, we kept saying, next week we'll do a basketball wrap-up episode. And then we ended up making the NIT. And then I said, next week we'll do a basketball wrap-up episode. But then we won two games in the NIT. And then I said, next week we'll be a basketball wrap-up episode. But then we kept going. So – we're not – I'm not going to say when the final basketball episode will be. We'll just see what it is. But uh, for a few more weeks, you'll have – this. there will be this episode and one more episode that will not – that will be focused primarily on just basketball. We'll be going – we'll be uh, double-decking for the next few weeks after that, and then it'll be all baseball before you know it. So, probably over-explain that. We're here to talk about – Basketball, we're not happy about what happened in the Hum in Humphrey Coliseum, neither on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, similar results with very different feels, but neither one of them was good. Let's talk about men's versus Tennessee first, and I'll just say it. Uh, we should have won. I don't think we played well. We couldn't shoot free throws. We turned the ball over 16 times. 
we played great defense for stretches, but we let them be, have some ridiculous wide open threes. And I guess we just thought they couldn't hit from, from 20, 28 feet when they've done Which it. Which is all. dumb. They're one of the better three point shooting teams in the conference. Right. I mean, it's, it's not a secret. Like, it's not be different if, if, if we were playing ourselves or South Carolina or Arkansas that hasn't been shooting well and they just started hitting them for Ole Miss and they started hitting them from 40 feet. No, Tennessee's done it and we just decided not to guard. So, I'm trying – I'm putting the cart before the horse. Let's kind of talk about what happened. Uh, Tennessee opened up with a really, really hot stretch. Mississippi State got it under control, but not under control enough. Yeah, I mean, I, it's weird. I can't call it like the worst start states ha- could have to a game because offensively – It's kind of worse like, than with Minnesota. That's the – that's why. It looked – 14-2 is pretty bad, but we had 14-0 at Minnesota. Well, the thing is, like – well, yeah, state, state shot poorly to start, but, like – it. it we're only a few minutes in the game. State was shooting 50%. The problem was – and this was early in the game. The problem was Tennessee started off 8 of 9. And, I mean, you're right. It was 14 to 2. At one point, uh, you, you you were still down double digits, like probably five, six minutes into the game. And some of it was Tennessee just couldn't – like every shot was falling for them. But some of it was bad defense. And, like you said, eventually they cooled off. And State, you know, they started to get some shots to fall for themselves. They fought their way back to the game. Actually took a lead late in the first half before Tennessee got a couple more big shots to fall there at the very end to take a 35-33 lead going into halftime. Second half, back and forth throughout. Um, A few times Tennessee would build up a small lead, but then State would fight right back. It actually took the lead a couple of times. And, like, Tennessee this season has not been a great shooting team overall. They've been good from three. But, like – they were cold for probably – like, Tennessee shot the ball well for, like, eight minutes total of this game. But that was all it took. The entire rest of the game, they weren't all that great. But then in, in the final four minutes or so, they closed the game, once again shooting, like, eight of nine to finish out the game. And at that same stretch, State couldn't get a shot to fall. What was it? Like, they didn't get a field goal in the final four minutes or something like that? Yeah, it didn't score on the final two and a half minutes. Two and a half, two and a half. Well, no field goals, like you said, but no field goals. points in the final couple um, minutes. And to me, miss here's here's I'm about to go on a little bit of a rant, okay? And this is about the coach who I know is a great guy, who I know at other times in his career was a great coach. I think the I'm just I'm not saying he's a failure. I'm saying the game has passed him by a little bit. It has changed enough, and he has not adapted. That's, I think, to blame. But let's talk about some things for a minute. First of all, this is another game that you lost. It's not like State has one weakness that is contributing to all its losses. State finds a new way to lose a game every time the game happens. At Kentucky and for Tennessee, you can blame free throws. Uh, Let's think about some other ones. For Minnesota, you can blame a terrible defense. For Louisville, you can blame couldn't, couldn't buy a basket. Uh, for this game, you could say turnovers and also and also free throws. Um, for the Texas Tech game, you could say a terrible game plan. They were way more athletic than you uh, and took away your best player. But there's just different reasons for losing all these games. I mean, we can go on and on. Ole Miss got really hot, and I and I don't spit too much blame on that other than just poor defense. Um, you can go on and on. But what it comes down to is if you have – Either A, this many weaknesses, or B, you just can't win games with this. With let's all this is making the assumption that we're talented. I'm assuming that the players are good. 
And this is not me saying that. That's other people outside of Mississippi State saying that. The players are good enough to win. That means it's on the coach. So there's that number one. Number two, the comment that Coach Hallam made after the game, well, the last five minutes they they denied out uh, Iverson Molinar, and that really took us out of our rhythm. You mean they took they they purposefully limited your best player, and then you couldn't do anything else? As if that wasn't something you could anticipate? As if that wasn't something that's already happened this year? It's already happened at Texas Tech at least once, but there's been other times. Sometimes Molinar is able to just score anyway. He's that good. But you don't think that there's needed to be a game plan in place? You've got – I think Shaquille Moore had five points. What did Rocket Watts have? Uh, none. You recruited these two transfers to come over here, and everybody's thinking, I'm just saying it, likely paid two guys, two transfers to come over here. And in a big game, when at the end of the game, Tennessee made a focused effort to deny, to deny your best guard, your second and third best guard, couldn't do contribute anything at all. I know Shaquille hit a big shot there about, about six or eight minutes left in the four, in the second half, but that was it. And, and to, God bless the kid. I'm not blaming this on Shaquille Moore. He's, he's had a tough couple of games. But the recruiting has not worked out. The game plan is not working out. The mistakes that this team makes isn't working out. The in-game adjustments. We, we were there was a stretch where we really thought Mississippi State was a second-half team, right? Mississippi State, Mississippi State, in the last five minutes of the game, might be the worst team in the SEC. I mean, think about how we have finished some of these last few games. And that's not new, though. It's, it's, not it's been going on for years. It's, it, is, it is habitually when it gets down to nut cutting time, and other coaches are put. Other coaches have a plan. They're like, when it gets down to brass tacks, we're going to do this to throw them off. It always works, and we don't. And we're not making any adjustments. We're playing. We're trying to do the same thing, not responding to the adjustments that are being made. I'm just. I'm done. I've, I have been wishy washy about it. I've been well. Let's you know, give him some slack. Blah blah blah. I'm done. I'm absolutely done. I've seen this movie so many times. Here's the thing that I found out. This is what I was kind of going with this. I watched both games, right, the men and the women. The men lost the number 19 team in the country at home by nine. The women lost the number 19 team in the country at home by nine. Both of those scores were expanded a little bit by the kind of the free throw game, you know. That's just how it works. It, it was a closer game than that with a couple minutes left, right? Okay. I had no doubt in my mind with three minutes left of the men's game who was winning that game, and it was going to be Tennessee. I've seen that movie before. With three minutes left in the women's game, I thought we had it in the bag. We were still down five. And I was like, we got this. No problem. I knew we were worn out. We had seven players available, and they were literally probably gasping for air. So maybe I, I was being a little bit optimistic there. But I have seen enough fight from that program over the last few years, even last year notwithstanding. I've seen enough fight from that program this year, overcome enough adversity that I expected them to win that game in the exact same situation where I've seen the men, if they don't have a 10-plus point lead with four minutes left, I'm not confident at all. If they don't have any lead at all with four minutes left, I, I've assumed the game's over. And I can't – I'm, I'm trying to be objective. I'm trying to not even be objective. I'm actually trying to look on the bright side of things when, when it gets down to crunch time in a game. But I have never gotten to – less than four minutes left in the game when it's close and been like, we can pull this out. I've never, I have, I do not remember the last time I felt that way. 
because we've seen this movie over and over and over again. When was the last time we were down a couple a possession or two for, with four minutes left and we came back to win? I can't think of it. Let's let I me mean, let's do a mental exercise here. The only the only time I saw State close out a game on a run, they didn't win, by the way. Uh, <laughs> my freshman year, it was Howland's second season. Thirty seconds left in the home game against Ole Miss, they were down six, and IJ Reddy single handedly tied up the game, brought State back, and tied the game back with like tied the game up with like half a second left on a layup to force overtime. And then Ole Miss pulled away in overtime, and it didn't matter. But that's the only time I've seen State close out. I mean, but we late game sequences. I, I couldn't tell you the last time State was down multiple scores. I don't think they ever. I don't know if they I have. Think, I'm sure it's happened at a point. I think some of the NIT games we played the last couple of years, maybe one last but, year went that way. I think I they might have been down a couple of scores, but like all those buzzer the, like, the, the, the NIT buzzer beater Q hit with Baylor. I, I remember turning that game off. We were down nine with three minutes left. I turned it off. I do remember that. Um, so state closed that one out well, but a lot of that. I mean, let's face it. Q's shot was. That's I don't know, I've never seen a shot do that. It bounced straight up and fall. I thought he missed it because I didn't see the net move because it literally didn't. No, I mean, but you mentioned that buzzer beater plays like that. It's been a player just goes and does something for the team. Like they don't have anything drawn you up. A, that, you have to have a Q Weatherspoon for. Basically, what you're saying is 99 percent of the time. If it's a close game with a few minutes left, we're not closing that thing out. Home or away, doesn't matter. And if we do, it's because your best player has been has taken over the game. I don't yeah. know. Was IG ready? IJ ready was would you call him the best player in 2016, 17? No. Quindary Weatherspoon still was. And I think Lamar Peters was, was Gavin Gavin Ware was on that team, wasn't he? No, no, that was the year after him. Okay. Uh this was Howland's second Howland's second season, the only veteran, like true veteran player was IJ Reddy. Right. Because Q okay. was in year two. So that's, and then, that's the guy you would have expected to take over. Base Q was in year two, and then everyone else, it was young Eric Holman, Schneider Harrard, Mario Kegler, Lamar Peters, Tyson Carter, um, who really I mean, I don't know if he can I think Abdul Abdul was on the team, but he didn't play that year, I don't think. Um I think so like academic something. But no, it, it's – and look, I get it. You rely on your big players in big moments like that, but, I mean – I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but basically – No, no, like State doesn't have stuff of, drawn I up. I cannot think of a time – I'm trying to think of some close games we've won. How many close games have we won? If we don't there win been five plus, I mean, do we win – we're not winning. I'm not trying to do some research. You talk about – you tell the, the audience – The only doing. exception is the year you went to the tournament. That's – team was actually capable of closing out games not against better competition because they lost close games to the good competition but against something that has cost state in the past where you can't close it out against you know a lesser team they found a way to do it they closed out some games late that season i'll tell you one um, sec tournament last year oh against kentucky there you go um yeah the worst kentucky team in years um, trying to see how many games last year we won. I mean, the Dayton game, close game, lost. And you, di- I remember distinctly, you did not have a good game plan at all for the end. It was just uh-huh. jack, jack something up. Kentucky in the regular season last year, close game. Didn't have a game plan at the end. You beat Vanderbilt in a close game last year. Yeah. St. M in a close game, lost. You beat Florida in a close game last year. Tennessee in a close game last year, lost. 
We had a few close wins. They've had a few, but it's not by Vanderbilt last year either. Five point game against Alabama, lost. You already mentioned the Kentucky game, got destroyed the next game. And then you get to the NIT and suddenly you can win a close game. You beat, NIT, you beat Richmond. Uh, the St. Louis game was, was, doesn't fit my category. It was six points. But I'm just, I'm just trying to think, if, 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 do we have any reason to not think that we're going to lose a game if it's close in the final minutes? Yeah, no, I mean, it always seems to happen. I mean, look, crucial sequence here in this game. Uh, Tennessee up 68-63, so five-point lead with about a little over a minute to go. DJ Jeffries gets fouled, misses both free throws. So, you know, are they misses both free throws. They get the re, uh, Tennessee gets the rebound. Call a timeout. Uh, I think I think State fouled immediately. Uh, you know, timeout. They try to get the inbound. The guy turns it over. He steps on. He steps out of bounds. State gets the ball back. And then I think Jeffries again. Uh, they, they you had multiple looks right at the rim there to make it a one. Yep. Make it a one score game with like a minute to go. Yeah. And you just couldn't get the shot to fall. And then you know Tennessee was able to pull away from there. I mean, I mean, I'll give you another example against. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting here. Alabama. No, you're good. Year, Alabama this year. You had a, a comfortable lead with a minute thirty left. Alabama brings it within one. Oh, they almost blew that. Had two good looks, two deep, not great, but decent enough looks at the end. Like you, we we were we were fortunate. You know, they, I think they probably took two 30 percent shots at the end, but you multiple you add those together, you had a 60 percent chance to blow that one. Uh, that's again quick, really crude math. Again, I just don't have confidence in this team, in a, with this coach in a close game, at the at the wire. I just don't. And that's the problem because when you're playing teams like this, it's going to be close. Like you're not going to just dominate any of these teams, and that's why State can't get a win against these better teams on their schedule, and that's why they're right now they're sitting on the outside of the bubble. Um, it, I mean, look, not much more to discuss in this game. I mean. You lose by nine, you miss nine free throws. That can't happen. You were actually pretty good from three, like five of 14. Like, that's good for us. But And you shot the ball well. It's just you turned it over 16 times, which led to 20 points for Tennessee. Um, and your three-point defense was horrendous. I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee shot 49% overall. They were eight of 19, 42% from deep. Like, you, you have to defend better. You know. It's been an issue for us so often, but you know they're a good three-point shooting team and just some of the looks they were getting are just inexcusable. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, you can't close out these games, you, you and you're running out of time. I, I came into this week, and I think I was trying to be slightly positive and optimistic, and I was like, okay, guys, look, technically, if we lose both games to Tennessee and LSU, we aren't dead. We're like we we you're you're clinging on for life. You're on life support, but you're still there. Well, I, I don't really know. I guess I I think I was just saying that to try to be a little bit positive, but I think part of me also didn't think we'd lose. I thought we'd get a win in one of these. Um, if you lose that LSU game, you're probably toast. You, you will technically still see state popping up like in like next four out list and stuff like that. Like, yeah, they could still technically like they're not going to. They lose this LSU game, they're done. Because at that point, you're basically saying you have to win out outside of the like the Auburn game. And if you lose a game to the likes of Missouri, 
which, I mean, playing them twice in three days and knowing how they've given some teams hell, like, are you sure you're going to be able to take care of business there? You got to go to South Carolina. They don't look great, and you handled them earlier, but rematches can, you know, the games can be very different. Vanderbilt has given some teams some problems this year. Like, I don't believe State's going to get out of that unscathed, in which case you're basically saying, yeah, you have to beat Auburn to make the NCAA tournament. And that's just super unrealistic. It probably hurts us that in terms of our chances for being able to, like, take down a team like Auburn, that they just lost to Arkansas because that resets things for them where they can sit back a little bit and maybe focus in more because they had been playing with fire for a while. Um, Now that they've taken a loss, I think they're going to be dialed in more. There's no chance of them overlooking little old Mississippi State when they come to the hump in March. Um, No. So, I mean, I I, I made the bold prediction. I said, Auburn, they played so close at Missouri, so close at Georgia, so close at Arkansas. If they had lost to Arkansas, they were going to lose to us. But now that they've had their wake-up call now, they – that lost Arkansas is going to galvanize them. Bruce Pearl's too good a coach to let them make the same mistakes twice. Now, the funny thing is by, by Arkansas winning that game, Arkansas, they're up to 30 – I think they're 31 or 32 in the net as it stands. If they move up into the top 30, all of a sudden our win over them becomes a quad one win. Hooray, that helps the resume. <laughs> I'm okay with it. But this is how I see it. Like, we just kind of give a breakdown. I mean, let's let's do the, mo- the most realistic path to, to, to feel c- – to feel comfortable. I don't want to be sweating out Selection Sunday. Most, and we're going to exclude the tournament. That's the tournament here for a minute. Most realistic path to feel comfortable, I think you lose no more than two more. You can't have a bad loss, and you have to have two good wins. Because right now you have one. You're like one in six in quad one games. Does that you concur there? I will say, looking at a lot of resumes this year, there aren't as many quad one wins as teams normally have. Um, there's a lot of teams that are in a similar spot to us in terms of their quad one record. The difference is they have way more quad two wins than us, which does make a difference. Quad two wins are considered a quality win. Um, and we really don't have many of those to go around. I, I, I'm at it, this point where I'm thinking if you don't beat Alabama and LSU, you're, how are you going to – what are you going to do? You're not going to beat all. I think – I mean – If you want to be say you're safely in, it's literally win every game but off the rest of the way. You think you can't even lose to Texas A&M. That was my scenario. My scenario well, is you go on a six-game win be, streak and then you lose like, the last two. To be, like, safely in. Because, like, I, like, I don't know. Maybe that would be enough. So I mean, to be, I, to be, you think to be – I mean, I you're you know more than me. I agree with you. So, if you're telling me to be safely in – to where we're just trying to see where we're who we're playing, where we're gonna go, but we know we're in. We got to go seven and one. Hmm. I would to, no. if we if no we're saying safe, safely in the tournament. Yes, what you were describing. If you win six out of the final eight, and you don't really take a bad loss, and I will say at South Carolina would not be good, but it's a it'd be a quad two loss. Okay. So if you lost to losing to Missouri, though, is problematic. Losing to Vanderbilt because it's at home is problematic. If we were going to Nashville and we lost, it actually wouldn't be a killer. I think they're higher than South Carolina in the net. But we have that game at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so, so six and two, you're cautiously optimistic. Seven and one, you're comfortable. 
Yes. I have no and, I have no confidence you're gonna no confidence you're gonna win six out of at Alabama, at LSU, Auburn at home, at Texas AM, at South Carolina, at Missouri, Missouri at home, Vanderbilt at home. If you split these next two and then don't lose another game besides Auburn, then uh which honestly that would be probably be better for your net than it would be if you took a loss to at AM. Mm-hmm. Oh, it would be, but, yeah. Because I mean you'd be losing a quad one game. Yeah. Like, I, if you do if you win se- if you go seven out of eight, if you go seven and one, I think you're safely in. You go six and two. I will say any you six and be two, the right six and two is what you're saying. The right six and two, and I, I couldn't tell you what exactly is right, but I can tell you that you can't lose to Missouri or Vanderbilt. Okay. So the of, right that, six and two. And or seven and one is what you take to say lock, but I won't say two, lock five, six and two. Even the right maybe, six and two. Maybe the right six. I, the right six and two. We're, lock. We're Any here. other six and two is yeah. It's you might need a win in the SEC tournament to feel good. It it's do or die time. It's do or die time. Like you you put and, yourself and in my, this. My whole point for bringing up this discussion is is I'm a I'm a I, I could be the biggest homer in the world. We're not going six and two. Like, we're just not. We haven't won a road game all year. And and five of those games are on the road. Because it's not happening. It, and I, I hate to be that way. I really do. And and I think even the, the non-basketball people and the biggest homers are the ones that the one both the ones that don't care right now and the big about basketball and the ones that are Pollyannas would still not be as bleak about it. As I'm being right now, I'm telling you straight up, I'm shocked if we if we make the tournament. Shocked, floored. You you have played four games this year that, and, and this includes Tennessee now because I, I the way you closed out this game just it, it can't happen. I mean, because even Arkansas, like Arkansas, like that game on the road against a team that's one of the hottest teams in the country. I was okay, and like they they went on a run there, and I was like okay it, with that. It, I did not have a problem with how that went down other than it was frustrating that it was a winnable game. If we had been down eight to ten most of the time, I would definitely not have a problem with it. it was, I would have expected it. it. It is Minnesota, Colorado State, Florida, and Tennessee. If you have any two of those wins right now. Then we can throw Minnesota in, in there. I, I did. Oh, you did. I thought you said – I don't know why. I'm stupid. Yeah, Minnesota, Colorado State, Florida, Tennessee. If you have any two of those wins right now, and there's no reason to say why well, you shouldn't. You can argue you should you should have won all fourth, mm-hmm. but if you have any two of those wins right now, I think you're in the field because you're either adding a pair of quality wins, or you're taking away a bad loss, or one of those, um, or or one, or, or one of each. And you would be, I, I don't, I don't, you wouldn't be a lock. You would not be a lock to be in the tournament, but you'd be like, I think you'd be in position like if they can get one more decent win and then take care of business, they'd be in the field. If you had three of those, I think you're safely in those are three games. I mean, Minnesota, you played horrific defense. You started off the game as poorly as you could, and then you did not close out well. I, Colorado State, you blow a lead in the second half, and you have a terrible offensive performance for no reason whatsoever. Florida, you blow a lead in the second half and just fall apart. Tennessee, you have a horrific collapse there at the end, and just you couldn't make free throws. There's no reason to not miss shot, miss free throws like that. Those are the games that are going to be the difference in this season. And I know, you know, you don't have any confidence in the team making the tournament. I, 
I don't really have confidence either. I just know knowing the I'm way this plays. Is not, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. And I'm not saying – Oh, I'm not confident. Gonna, I'm not telling you all to check out. I'm not checking out. I'm just trying to be straight up. And no, yeah, I, you I, I, I hear you. I, I agree. I'm trying to justify my strong opinion that we need a coaching change. And I know everybody agrees. Like, everybody thinks it's time to move on. But I have been – I'm always the type to give – I give coaches a lot of rope. I give players, coaches a lot of rope. I know it's hard to do that job. And I know that you have to consider context in all those jobs. Man, Hallett hasn't had fan support since his – after his after his uh, one and done in the tournament. Since, since then, he's had nothing. We have not been excited about basketball. We should be. I don't. I, I blame the fans for that. Uh, or the athletic department, one of the two. That's whatever. But I still expect better. I still expect better. I mean, look at what the what other teams have done in this league. Look at what the women have done at our own uh, gym this year. I'm not even talking about the the phenomenal years with Vic. Just this year. I mean, you've got that program in the right direction with seven or eight players a night. Like, come on. So, I don't know. I'm just – I don't know. Uh, no, I hear you. I mean, look, it, the writing's on the wall. I mean, we we know what Ben Halland is. And I I have always been, like, kind of middle ground on him for the exact reason you said. Like, and you and I have had this – I've been I, middle ground on him for a long time. And and I'm, I'm, I'm away I'm, – I have finally got off the fence. I've had multiple times where I've walked away saying, fire his you-know-what, and then I've had other times walking away like, you know what, he's really not getting the, the credit he deserves and the fan base isn't supporting him the way they should. And I think both things can be true. You can absolutely look at his tenure and say he has underachieved relative to the talent that he's had, and regardless of circumstance, there's zero excuse to be in year seven with the team that you have and have only gone to the tournament once, and you're now – underachieving with a team that should easily have made the tournament once again. You can absolutely look at it that way. You can also point out that, you know what, he probably deserves a lot more support than he got, and how many games throughout this tenure that were those close losses are different if you have a rock and hump. Somebody said it the other night, and people were not happy with it. Uh, it was for whom the Cowboy tolls. Like, imagine what this game could have made. All I can worry is, like, if this game's different if the hump had been packed the way it was supposed to be packed. And people I fired that. I no, agree. What was that? I totally agree. I mean, that's that's on us. And no, and, and people fired people fired back. Well, uh, no, it's not the fans. It's because we couldn't hit free throws. Okay, look, technically, yes, I, I I will say it. It doesn't matter if there's not a soul in the stands. At the end of the day, it goes back to the team. It is on the coach to find a way to get his team to win. However, you're not going to play perfect basketball every single night. You you you. College basketball, you rely on your home crowd to help give you an advantage. And right now, we're one of the only teams in the SEC that doesn't consistently get a good like fan support at home that can help lead them to wins. So th that's the argument for Ben Howland. Now, on the other flip side, like I said, it, it, it's ultimately time to move on. We know what he is. If they – look, I know you were like, you know, Elite Eight or bust. I I will stick in the – like I, I will stick around and say, like, if they get to the tournament, and I don't care if it's like they have to win the SEC tournament, I will just shut up and be like, all right, I'll deal with it for a couple more years. And it's just because I so desperately want to go to the tournament that I'm willing to accept that I know he will not be fired if they get to the tournament. Um, I am I am a short-sighted person. I, uh, when it comes to the NFL, like I, everybody says you're supposed to – if you're not going to make – if you don't think you make the playoffs, you need to tank for a better draft pick. 
I selfishly want my team to win as many games as they can win. So I'm going to sit here and say that even though I know that for the future, it's probably better that we just lose and then he's gone for sure. If we can make the tournament, I'll take that um, and put up with the future. Maybe in a perfect world, we make the tournament and then he retires. Uh, that that would be kind of ideal. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's an uphill battle. It's frustrating. I All I can think about is I literally just desperately want to be good in men's basketball more than pretty much anything else on this campus. Like football is my favorite sport, but I'm also realistic about what MSU football is supposed to be. And I think we're pretty much there or we're trending in the right direction to be there. Baseball, obviously you win national championships, but I'll admit in this part of why you're not going to hear me really on the baseball episodes, like of the major three sports, it's number three for me. I love going to the games. I love MSU baseball. And I know like that's a sacrilegious statement for most state fans that it's not your number one. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like you're blowing my mind. It, it, I love baseball, but it's just like, I, I don't, I think for me personally, it's because of my connection to men's basketball from doing pet band. Yeah. That's like football is always been my favorite sport. Doing pet band and being at the games and being watching the building process throughout Allen's tenure. I just have a different connection to basketball and, and, and in a way, people have a connection to baseball. I have that connection to men's basketball at MSU. And I just – I want them to win so freaking badly. And I hate that it's – we're just stuck in this spot where it's like we know they're close and they just can't break through. And the easy solution is you make a coaching change, but then there's the part of my mind that really worries, is a coach – are we going to be able to get a coach who can actually take us to that next step? Obviously, we'll start discussing that if, the, if it becomes imminent that a change is going to happen. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've harped too long on this. We want to move into talking about the women. Yeah, so it's not all doom and gloom. But, again, I just want to find it – I found this quite fascinating. Top 20 team comes into the hump, beats your team by nine, and we have a completely different attitude about the men or the women, or the men and the women. Same exact results, one day apart. I think they believe they have the same conference record at five and five. And here we are feeling completely different. With the, the women, they lose to Florida, and they were just out-hustled and out-gassed at the end. And, and you have to expect that they were playing with seven scholarship players. I mean, they, they can't even do a, a, a real layup line right now to warm up because <clears throat> as soon as you – put one basket in and you got to turn around and get the rebound for the next person. Like it's just not enough people. It's, it's incredible. Uh, I think Doug Novak deserves a job. I'm totally, I mean, and, and part of this is also is who are you going to get? You, you're, you're not, you're going to have to throw a bag if you want a, a really, really proven coach and at a sport that doesn't produce revenue. I'm ready to move on with Doug Novak if he wants it. And I've also heard that he is definitely interested in the job. There's not none of that. Like he's ready to get out of here. He wants the job. Just if you just have the players that are on your bench right now that are expected to play next year, plus, you know, Raven Farley is a senior. Maya Taylor will have a, a decision to make. But just plus who, you, who you've got out there right now, that's a really nice team. I mean, if you just add Jessica Carter to this team, you probably got three or four more wins. So I think the future is brighter over there. Uh, they've got Ole Miss this Sunday, which is a bad matchup for us personnel-wise. And you're not going to have a big crowd. I don't know how we drew the 3 o'clock uh, game on Super Bowl Sunday. If that was a noon game, I mean, I'd be all about it. Uh, I'm going to probably go see a little bit of it. I've already got my ticket. But, I mean, heaven forbid 
I've got people coming over to my house, so I can't be there forever. And I got to cook. So I, I, that was probably my bad for decided to be the host on Sunday. But <clears throat> hopefully uh, one more big win. I think you'll find them kind of in that next for, next four-end discussion. Uh, right last four buys. Four-end. Yeah, they can get to the last four buys, something like that. Yeah, uh, so you're not having to worry about it. Well, the women don't have play-in games. I forgot about that. They do this uh, year. They do this oh, year. Oh, they added them. They Well, they, they realized that the men and the women need to be completely – remember last year the, the men got like a way, way better gift bag and like way better facilities than the women? Yes, uh, that was a big issue. Everything from now on will be completely identical. So they added play-in games this year. Except that they play quarters and we play halves. That's I still fair. wish we played quarters. Absolutely. I, I wish I, – I don't know why men's basketball hasn't gone back to quarters. I don't know how I feel about uh, not having one-and-one. One. I do like I do like fouls being one-and-one, one-plus, instead of uh, – for the first few, instead of just always two. I don't like the NBA model for those like the women have, but I do like quarters. So, in any case, uh, that's where we stand with them. It is – it's just crazy. Almost, ex- almost exactly situated, but – while the women have, are doing the most with the least, the men are doing the least with the most. It's crazy. Uh, and I know that Tolu Smith has been hurt. I mean, Rocket Watts has been a little bit hurt, but I think he's been – he's he's pretty much – if he's not at his full self right now, he's not going to get there uh, this year. I mean, he's had enough time to, to, get, to get over that. No offense to him. I mean, the body does what it does, but it, this is as good as it's going to get is what I'm saying. I'm not saying he can't have a breakout game and score 25 points next game. But as far as physically, uh, he might be a lot better next year, but he is what he is this year. So I know you've had the little thing with Taylor Smith, but the women have just had so many. They've gone through the COVID. Even the coaches have had COVID. They've had players transfer, multiple players transfer out during the season this year. Uh, you had your one a centerpiece of your team, literally the centerpiece, the center, uh, had some personal issues and hasn't been able to play a single game. You've got uh, – you had a player last night miss for health reasons. We don't even know what those are. We thought she already had the COVID, so the COVID. I sound like a boomer. Um, there's just – if it's not – if it isn't one thing, it's another for Doug Novak. Meanwhile, Ben Allen, he's had a couple bumps in the road, but he's basically had his, – his cupboard's been full, and he's doing the exact same thing that the women are doing uh, with almost nothing to work with. So, Maya Taylor's been hurt not- multiple games and has come in to play – to finish those games on a bum ankle. I mean, come on. It's not comparable. I mean, and, like, you can't even sit here and say, like, a few years ago you could have said this, that the path in the SEC for women's basketball is easier. Not anymore. Like, there's – in the same way that men's basketball, you have all these programs that are are bought in and you've got, you know, ten teams at any given year could, could, you know, could go to – consistently go to the tournament. You're starting – you've got that in women's basketball too. And it's not like they just have an easier path. They've had way more obstacles to overcome, and they're still finding ways to win games I'd, and have. I'd almost say that their path is harder. I mean, let's let's count good women's teams. LSU's good. Missouri's good enough. South Carolina's South Carolina. great. Tennessee's great. Ole Miss is good. Florida's good. Arkansas's decent. Uh, Georgia. Georgia's really good. That's eight. And we let's talk about the bad ones: A&M, Auburn, Alabama, Vanderbilt. Bad. Is that it? Uh, we're, we're probably missing yeah, someone. I just yeah. named five. I just named four, or I just named four and eight. 
We're missing one. Kentucky. Kentucky's bad. Kentucky should have been good, better this year, but they're bad. So, yeah, so you've got eight good ones, five bad ones. Then what we've got on the men on, on good. Auburn, obviously. We'll call, there, we'll there's call. like eight good teams in men's basketball, it's and then similar. there's a couple it's that are okay. It's similar. Uh, Ole Miss is bad in the men. A&M, we'll call them bad. South Carolina. I think there's more bad teams in the in the uh, men than the women, but probably more really upper tier teams in the men than in the women because you got some of the LSUs and the uh, Missouris are kind of mid pack, but still, same. You, you can't. You're right. You can't say oh. Uh, the men have tougher opponents. It's just not not the case. So, yeah, there's no excuse for Howland. I mean, it. And like, is this roster as good as is his roster as good as we thought it was preseason? Clearly, no. Probably like, not. Obviously, DJ Jeffries, Rocket Watch, Shaquille Moore. I mean, now, Moore has had moments where he was good, and we we didn't bring up like Jeffries had a pretty good game. He just he missed shots at he the had, worst he had possible. Some, he had a really good game. And I By still found standard. myself mad at him at least three times. Some of that was yeah. early, but yeah, four turnovers in the game. But I think all of those were in the first half. As we're going back to Tennessee, and we're, we we said we were talking about the women's team, and now we're talking about the men's team again. But um, four turnovers for him, and then he missed shots at the worst possible time late in the game when you still had a shot. But I mean, no, Howland's like transfers clearly are not panning out the way they should. But at the end of the day, you're the one who brought them in. Right. You're the one who banked on it. So it's like if you're and again, I'm going, I'm 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 making some big assumptions. I'm going with the conspiracy theory, but if you're buying these players, you bought the wrong ones. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm I'm the guy that doesn't criticize players, but and then Doug Novak is taking I mean, I, I hate to refer to it as this, but for the, I'm gonna use the analogy. He's literally taking the scraps off the table. I, I again, I hate referring to you know players as that, but it, for the but analogy, other other than other than Maya Taylor, there was not an experienced player on that team. There's not one, not not experienced in the SEC. The Hayes sisters uh, played a lot at Middle Tennessee State, but that's Middle Tennessee State, and they've been phenomenal, especially uh, Anastasia, fantastic as advertised. So I mean, let's be realistic. Nikki McCray Pinson. Did bring in some transfers that were, and Jerkelia Jordan is another one that was as advertised. And Ben Hallen brought us some transfers that might be a, a, a shade below what we thought they could be. Uh, but still, he is, he has done less. With, Novak has done less with more. Hallen has done, excuse me, Novak has done more with less. Hallen has done less with more. And I'll, another uh, quip at Hallen, Garrison Brooks is recently, I think he's been as advertised. He's been good. He he's a good not game. taking over the game. Uh, he's not. He's not going to get you twenty-five and twelve, but he wasn't doing that at North Carolina either. So, similar level of competition. You want to hit baseball real quick before we dive into this LSU preview? Yeah, this is the only thing I'm going to uh, say about baseball. We already had a good preview episode, but if you haven't seen Joel Coleman's uh, list, they've got all the walkout songs published on there. Uh, let's hit some. We'll hit a couple highlights. There's three Beastie Boys songs. I can't stand that. I don't know. I'm a I'm a Beastie Boys hater, and they are the most prominent artists on there. I think Cody Johnson has two songs. Beastie Boys has three. Nobody else has more than one. So we're gonna talk about that uh, and how. Other than that, I think it's a pretty good list. All the preseason SEC stuff came out um, today, or excuse me, yesterday. Yesterday as we record. The. Uh, yeah, so if, you, if you're listening to this on Saturday, it'll be two days ago. But 
really weird situation. Arkansas's picked first in the West, but somehow Ole Miss is picked to win the conference. And that's, that's not like a conference tournament thing. That's just, I think they ranked the teams and Ole Miss had more first place votes. But if you just tally all the ranking, Arkansas had the lowest score. So that makes them first in the West. Yeah, it's, it's so, I think like the methodology is like you put the teams down in order but then you just you write who your champion is. I think that I know that's I think that's how they do it for football because a few it years ago, oh yeah, it happened for foot. It's happened. I think it's happened for football a couple times now, and it's it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, I mean, state picked to finish tied for second in the West alongside Ole Miss. State got a pair of first place votes, but four first place votes for the Rebels. Um, but like I said, Arkansas picked to actually win the West. So one of those weird little things there. Um, uh, Logan Tanner, Landon Sims, preseason first team, and then Luke Hancock, preseason second team. So some of the stars of this team getting the recognition they deserve. Yeah. Uh, I could have uh, – let's see. I could I could have seen Forsyth or, or Cam James at uh, first or at third or shortstop, but there's also some good uh, left side of the infield players in this league. So I'm not – I didn't have many gripes, I'm trying to say. I was not – was not apoplectic about any of it. Didn't think, well, so-and-so should have been on there. I didn't uh, – I could have I could have argued for those two guys, but I wasn't going to uh, get up on a soapbox for those for the for the for that change, I don't think. You had Jacob Berry and Jacob Gonzalez uh, holding those down for first team from LSU and Ole Miss, respectively. So, I'm not – I really can't argue there. Yeah, I, I, I will just sit here and admit that I don't know baseball rosters at all outside of Mississippi State. I mean, so me, I cannot tell you who who is who is not good. I'll, I'll figure that out as the season goes along. That first team is stout. Stout. Very stout. Uh incredible. That that first team, if you took the best players from every other conference and played that first team, I think they would lose all three games by more than five runs. That team is good. Like good. I reckon. I mean, I, I know some of the names on there. I, I know some of those guys, like from last season. Uh, those players I, should collectively average more than ten home runs, and that's with Enrique Bradfield that might not hit one, and probably all average over three twenty batting wise. Like that's they're they're good. So that's basketball. I mean, excuse me, baseball. We can talk a little bit about LSU, but not too much because basically, I mean, it's must win. I mean, it doesn't. Doesn't matter who lines up if, if Shaquille O'Neal and Ben Simmons are back out there, you have to win the game. I'm sorry, I mean that's just the, the way it goes. But let's talk about them. Oh uh, yeah, LSU 17-7 on the season. They are, I, I just lost it real quick. 17-7 on the season, um, five and six within SEC play. Coming off a stretch of losing six out of eight, they started off undefeated in uh, out of conference play and. There was a couple decent teams on that schedule, on that uh, non-conference schedule, but no one that really sticks out. Like there might be one or two teams there that make the tournament, but nothing remarkable. They had their wake-up call immediate when they immediately went in league play and they lost to Auburn, but then they won three straight. But since that point, six of eight losses. Their only two wins are both against Texas A and M. Um, it's been a bit of a downward spiral. That includes losing at home to Ole Miss in a game where they were getting skull drug before. Uh, you know, making it close at the end. That includes a game against Vanderbilt, who was legitimately beating the crap out of them for much of the game. Um, LSU made it semi-close late, but it didn't matter. Like, like somebody I know, you, you kind of make a run late, and then you kind of lose right there at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. 
they they were playing poorly, but part of that is they were without one of their top players, Xavier Pinson, who transferred over from Missouri. Um, Pinson is back in the lineup for them. He played a big role in their win uh, in College Station this past Saturday. Uh, not Saturday. Oh, I think that was Tuesday that they played. Um, he had 11 and four, didn't he? Yeah, 11 and four. And I mean, Couple Will seven. Wade made a big point that like him, his presence being back really opened up a lot for the rest of their team. Uh, four players in double figures for the Tigers. Uh, big man Tari Eason averaging over 16 points per game. Um, he's sort of the, the go to guy for them with got 25 blocks on the season and he's averaging seven rebounds a game. Uh, one, one, one of their top players, he's in the top five in the SEC in terms of scoring per game. So I mean, that's certainly going to be where they put a lot of their emphasis on him. Uh, you're getting 13.2 a game uh, out of Darius Days, another big-time player for the Tigers. Who, another guy who I think believe missed some time. No, actually, he started every game. I, Will Wade was concerned about him missing some time a while back, but he he started every game for him. Uh, Brandon Murray providing uh, 10.2 points per game, and then Eric Gaines giving them 10.1. Pinson's at 9.8. You imagine that number would probably be up more if he hadn't missed the time that he did. Um, so you're kind of looking at like their starting lineup pretty much all in double figures. Um, this is a team that they're not an incredible offensive team, shooting 44% as a team, uh, 33% behind the arc, um, scoring around 73 points per game. But that I think it was down to like 62, 63 points per game over this past eight game stretch. Um, that said, they've played really freaking good defense, holding teams to just 61 points per game. Teams are shooting just 37% against them and 28% from deep. So for Mississippi State, I mean, and but for what it's worth, 28% from deep, but teams have shot a lot of threes against them. I don't think they need to worry about that from State. So I'm going to say that if State goes out and jacks up 23s in this game, there's a problem. Uh, I, I want no part of that in this game whatsoever. Uh, they're out-rebounded their opponents by about four a game. They, they, they do have an edge there, but not a massive one. Uh, but, I mean, again, that's largely between Tar East and Darius Day sort of leading the way there. Um, turnovers, they're forcing almost 18 turnovers a game, and part of that goes back to steals. Uh, they're leading the SEC in steals per game at over 11. So for a state team that has been turning the ball over lately, that kind of concerns me. Uh, it's not great matchup-wise for you. Uh, and they're, you know, getting four and a half blocks a game. So, look, this is a team that they they play really tough defense. That has sort of been that's sort of been what's kept them afloat throughout the season. They haven't been great offensively, but obviously a lot of that's because Xavier Pinson's such a big part of that team. Not having him has, has hurt them, and with him being back, that, that does concern you. And you know Mississippi State historically has had a ton of struggles in the PMAC. That's one of the tougher places to play in the SEC when it's packed out. And State's just had a lot of bad luck down there. They've had a lot of bad luck against LSU regardless when it comes to basketball over the years. But this is tough for State. And what is we're, – we're calling this a must-win game. Um, it is a bit concerning. Um, if there's one more player I do want to point out just to look at, because we always like the guys who shoot well from three, uh, Moani Wilkinson, who is – you know, he's – actually a pretty big part of their rotation over 23 minutes a game. Uh, he's 15 of 34, 44% from deep. So not a ton of attempts, but he's certainly that off the bench three point shooter guy for the Tigers. So if you're looking for someone to come in and kind of ruin things for us, he's only averaging 
a little over three points per game. So if you're looking for a rat candidate, that's him. Um, yes. Uh, well, I know we, we do the same thing with rat candidate. It's just who's the guy off the bench who shoots the best from three, and that's who you look out for. But that's kind of what kills Mississippi State every time. Um, yeah. It, it, this is going to be tough. This is really going to be tough, and it feels like LSU really began to turn a quarter corner with their win against Texas A&M this past week. Um, it, it's going to be a lot to ask for State to go down there and win, but they have to, and that's just sort of where we're at. I agree. It, it's a must. This is it's a must win. There is a way that you cannot win this game and still make the tournament, but it's a must win. I mean, come on. This just in. We're going to shift our attention a little bit, a little bit back to baseball. This is as of like seven minutes ago. Mississippi State has sold thirteen thousand thirty-nine season tickets and counting. That right there, I just did the math while Angie was was talking, would already be the eighteenth largest crowd in NCAA baseball history. That's incredible. Ole Miss just announced a couple weeks ago uh, eight thousand, and everybody was like, "Oh my gosh, eight thousand season tickets." And we have just shot that through the moon. That is incredible. That's actually insane. I'm, I'm in shock. Not, I, I expected it this year. I, I say I'm in shock. It's hard to be in shock or something that you fully expected, but it's still, when you actually see the number, you're like, wow. I mean, by the time the season starts, that'll probably be up to like 13-100, 13-2. And right there, you're looking at, the 16th largest crowd in history if just all your season ticket holders show up? I mean, could you imagine? Uh, makes me re- wonder what capacity is going to be, like how many general admission tickets will there be for a big weekend? You know, if everybody that bought these tickets is going to be there, like, my goodness, like. I mean. Are there going to be general admission tickets? I'm glad I got all my student tickets. Let's just put it that way. Are they counting student tickets into that? I think so because you had to buy them this year. Yeah, I mean, well, I would imagine because they want that number to be big, so like they might as well count it. But they don't. Isn't the thing like th- I know this was different a couple years ago, but isn't like the thing with the dude is like there there is no like cap on attendance; they'll just let people in there. I don't think that that's true, and here's why: because we've had some of the biggest out of after all this momentum, we still haven't. Okay, so I guess against Notre Dame this year, we were we, that was the fifth biggest attend record. So let me put it that way. But we well, had, and let's be real, real quick. It was twelve like, short of the big record. Let's be real, though. The postseason games—that's the real attendance. Like, that's the true attendance record. I know twenty fourteen Ole Miss fifteen thousand. Like everybody got excited about that. You can look at that game and see countless empty chair backs if you go back and you watch the replays from that game. Um, the, if you're talking like the actual, it's packed out. It's the postseason games. But. Yeah, I mean that's that's incredible. Over thirteen thousand. I, mean, I mean, right now, if you have if you sold twenty five hundred twenty five hundred general admission tickets, you're and and everybody that bought this ticket showed up. You're right there at the number one record. You would shatter the number two record because the number two is fifteen seventy eight. You have fifteen five eighty six for the all time record. There's about there's a more than five hundred person gap. But they're basically going to be announcing like sellout crowds for like every well, SEC. They, I don't think I don't think we announce paid attendance anymore. I think we announce actual attendance. Maybe not. 
Maybe not, but I think we do now. We used to not, I know. I know Arkansas still does paid attendance, and I think I'm pretty sure – I know Ole Miss does because they had a attendance record uh, – an attendance uh, per-game attendance record last year, and I know there wasn't that many people at their, at their midweek games. And that's why when you see, like – I know I was just talking about this for State, but, like, State, it's not that drastic. Like, it's the it, – like, there's not a massive difference between, like, our, our – what we say our record crowds are and then what the NCAA crowds are. They're not that different. But, like, if you look at Arkansas and Ole Miss, there's a big gap between the crowds that they announce. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big gap between the crowds they announce for, like, a, a weekend series where we set they we set an attendance record and then you see them for the postseason and there's, there's like, 3,000, 3,000, 4,000 fewer people. Like, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. All right, so that I think that's a good a good positive note to close out on. That's incredible. By the way, Mississippi State still holds 18 of the top 19 attendance records and all but one, two, three, four, five of the top 25 attendance records in college baseball history. I imagine we will push the 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 24 and 25 are not held by uh, by Duty Noble Field, although one of those didn't involve Mississippi State at Arkansas. I imagine that. Those two will be bumped this year at least. And then after that, we'll be bumping two of our own. So, uh, Softball in the bottom of the fourth has a 2-1 two, two, lead over LMU. There's a little check in there. What is that, Loyola? I am trying to see now because I don't know who LMU is. They play Oklahoma tonight. Um, lo- oh, yeah, Loyola Marymount. I thought it was – it's like LMU. Like It's not Loyola Chicago, but in any case. All right, we're going to get out of here. Long show for us today, but hope that y'all enjoyed it. And we'll be back to talk about the LSU game and the women's game and the Super Bowl a little bit on um, Monday-ish, and then it's baseball season. Here we go. Rock and roll. Until next time, as always, always swing your sword and always say, hail state. Hail state.